Hope Church would like to welcome you to Principles of Faith with Scott Gray. Today we're going to share one part of the series by Arthur Menges titled, What is Faith? And so tonight, Lord, we declare our hearts good soil, ready for your word. Lord, just as Jesus taught that, that the word is a seed sown into a ready heart. Thank you, Lord, that as the truth goes out, the Holy Spirit, that you plant it deep in our hearts. If need be, Father, till the ground. Plow up all of that other crud that we've been believing in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Well, the passage of Scripture that we uh, started off or used last night is 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 11 through 14. And I'm just going to read this again, and we're going to get right into it. I'm not going to uh, go through a lot of what we did last night, but I'm going to share a little bit for those of you uh, watching on uh, live stream, uh, or those of you that are here for the first time tonight. Paul is writing to a young minister called Timothy, and he's giving him instruction. And uh, in uh, chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he talks a lot about, you know, the, the evils of the love of money and all this kind of stuff, all the traps that uh, a minister, a young minister can fall into. And then in verse 11, he says this. He says, but thou, O man of God, flee these things and follow after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, patience, meekness. Verse 12 says, fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on eternal life whereunto thou art also called and has professed a good profession before many witnesses. He says, I give you charge. Now we can, we can hear how Paul is coming here and he's, he gets to this place. He says, fight. That, I mean, fight the good fight of faith. Lay a hold on eternal life. Last night we saw that that term eternal life is the Zoe life of God. It's laying a hold not only on the, uh, the, pros the prospect of, of living eternally, that means that uh, a longevity of life, an eternal life, but he's saying lay a hold on the, uh, the, the kind of life that God lives, the, the a condition of life. Uh, living, it's a quality of life, and that's what God has called us to. He, that, that the calling of God upon your life is to live the eternal Zoe life that God himself lives. You see, it, the eternal life is the, the condition of life that God has. And he says, lay a hold on eternal life, whereunto thou art also called and hast professed, professed a good profession before many witnesses. He says, I give you charge in the sight of God who quickeneth all things and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate witnessed a good confession, that thou keep this commandment, and that word commandment or charge, I give you charge or commandment, is a, 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 an authoritative prescription. That means, just like I said last night, it's like a script that you get from, from a doctor. That if you follow the script, the doctor prescribes something that's going to help you, that's going to heal you, that's going to help you heal, live a better quality of life. That's the same thing. He says, 
that you keep this commandment or this, this uh, 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 authoritative prescription without spot, unrebukable, until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, last night when we started, I said, you know, that uh, one of the smartest things we can do in the time that we're living in right now, in this time where things are upside down, where things are uncertain, one of the smartest things we can do is to live a life of faith, to live in faith, to live by faith. But I did say, and, and, and I want to maybe just repeat this, and that is that um, in Christianity today, there's a lot of teaching about faith. There's a lot of information about living a life of faith, living in faith, living by faith. And, but unfortunately, even though we've got all of this information, the majority of people that I come in contact with, and I'm sure that if we're going to all be honest, that people we come in contact with, or maybe even yourself, uh, most people are still very confused about how and, and what it means to live by faith. They're confused by this. They're not confused about the fact that we are called to live by faith, that God wants us to live by faith, or even that God has equipped us to live by faith. But unfortunately, so much of what we've learned about faith has made faith only available, as I said, to the mature, to the strong, to the disciplined. Uh, so much of the teaching of faith and what we've heard and the communication of this whole subject of faith has kind of left a lot of people feeling, I don't qualify or I don't have it all together in order to actually be able to live by faith. Be, you know, and, and, and let's just be honest, uh, you know, how many times have you been around people where you've, quote-unquote, uh, maybe expressed your faith project in your life, and, and maybe uh, it's not come to pass, it's, uh, and then people will say, well, where's your faith? And, you know, and then, and then when, when, when things are not necessarily working out the way you're trusting God to work, uh, that people will say, well, maybe you just don't have enough faith, or maybe you've, you know, maybe this. And then people start, and then I know that in my life, I started looking for all the reasons why my faith was not working. Amen. And I tell you that that has brought a lot of people to the place where, they feel that they're not capable, they're not able, they're not disciplined enough, they may be not strong enough, maybe not bold enough. And so many believers, I find, have backed off from actually daring to live a life of faith and trusting God for the impossible. Why? What's the reason? Well, because we find out that most of the people we come in, most of the people who come to church are not strong, but weak, hurt, wounded, afraid. And, and, and if, we, if we communicate the fact that, that living a life of faith is only for those who have it all together, then it disqualifies almost everybody else in the church. Right? Am I, am, am, and unfortunately, that's where we, that we have found ourselves. And 
So last night, I, I wanted to begin with what I believe to be the most important aspect of, of a foundation, really, in our hearts to uh, know that, that God sees and believes in you uh, not because you've got it all together. Hallelujah. And we looked at that, those scriptures, and we're not going to go through them, but in Luke chapter 8, we looked at uh, 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 Mark chapter 4, and also Matthew chapter 8 and verse 24, where the disciples went with Jesus. Jesus said, let's go over to the other side of the lake. They, they stepped out in faith. They trusted Jesus. They said, let's go. We're going to go on a journey with Jesus. Jesus is in our boat. We're going to go, but halfway over there or in the middle of the lake, there rose up a storm, and in all three of those accounts, it tells us clearly the boat didn't start leaking. The boat was filled with water. That means the, the one says the, the boat was filled with water. The other, the other one says the waves covered the ship. You understand that when waves cover a ship, it's not starting to leak, right? But yet they never sank. The disciples didn't notice it. They, I mean, they were just terrified out of their minds. They go to Jesus. They wake him up. Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat on a pillow. And like I said, I'm going to ask him one day when I get there, I'm going to ask him, how did you do that? You know, but he was asleep on there. Because, you see, Jesus was asleep because he, he believed that his words were not, let's go to the middle of the lake and, and drown. His words were, let's go to the other, other side. They were going to go to the other side. But this is what I want you to see. In all three accounts, Jesus made it clear that none of his disciples had any faith. Amen. How, how is it that you have no faith in Mark? So Jesus noticed that not one of the, the disciples had any faith. Now again, you know, because, because of the way we have, have, uh, have uh, communicated this whole life of faith, we've come to the place where we've taken scriptures, and, they, and they are, the scriptures just say, without faith it's impossible to please God. And it's true. God is pleased when you will live by faith. When you will actually trust. You know, of course, the word faith just means trust. That's really all that word faith means. It means to trust Him. But here's the problem I think that most people have. is because what we actually believe about God doesn't make Him trustworthy. Okay, I'm going to go from this side to this side. Amen. What most people believe about God, what... The, the way we view God, the way we see God, the way God is portrayed many times in church, in Christian circles, uh, God is portrayed in a way that doesn't make Him trustworthy. And we see here is Jesus, even though His disciples had no faith, He still delivered them. He still stilled the storm. He still, in spite of the fact that they had no faith, he proved this one thing, that God deems you more important 
than your ability to have it all together. Hallelujah. God values you way more than your ability to have all the, all the I's dotted and the T's crossed and have everything just right. But, but God will, God is for you. He's in your boat. He's with you. Now, because God is with you doesn't mean you won't have a storm. Amen. Amen. Praise God. So what we're going to do tonight is I want to go and have a look. You see, this brings me to uh, the point that I want to make about what we believe about God can, can cause us to have what I call this unnatural struggle that happens the moment you actually step into the realm of saying, I'm going to believe God. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to have faith and I'm going to live by faith. I'm going to trust God for the impossible, for the unseen, for that that doesn't look possible today. I'm going to trust God for that. The moment most people step into that place where they want to do that, there's almost this unnatural struggle that happens within them and in their lives. And, and most people don't know what it is. I call it having opposing beliefs. Let me explain to you what I mean by that. See, the majority of people live their whole lives struggling uh, with this, high, this whole idea of opposing beliefs. Now, let me explain to you. Turn with me in your Bible, say, to Matthew chapter 21. On the one hand, people uh, know and believe the promises of God. You know, it's amazing that, you know, in, in most uh, modern churches today, when I call modern church, I'm not talking about the old denominational churches, but, you know, modern, charismatic, word of faith, uh, grace-oriented churches, uh, where you go, people know the promises of God. They know all of the wonderful promises of healing and prosperity and wholeness and, and, and uh, you know, just uh, 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 being able to understand everything that's good that God has promised us. And most people uh, will be able to quote even the, the verses from where the, those promises come. And so most people believe in these promises, but on the other hand, they do not know and believe in the extent of the finished work of Jesus on their behalf. Amen. So they know the promises. They know that God promises healing. They know that God promises that he'll prosper you. They know that God's promise is for you to live in peace and not in turmoil or chaos in your life. Isn't it amazing that even in the midst of all that's been going on, uh, it's almost like the chaos in people's lives are being highlighted right now. You know, the chaos that we're seeing is just an outward expression of what's going on on the inside of people. Amen? And so when we, when we look at that uh, from that perspective, I want us to go and have a look at this. Now, of course, the passage I'm going to read to you is just jam-packed with a lot of truth. Now, I can't expound on all of that truth. I want to zoom in on one aspect of what 
we read here. So uh, Matthew chapter 21, and let's start there in uh, verse 18. It says, Now in the morning, as he, Jesus, returned unto the city, he hungered. And when he saw a fig tree in the way, he came to it and found nothing thereon but leaves only. And said unto it, they said unto the tree, Let no fruit grow on thee henceforth forever. And presently the fig tree withered away. Now I'm going to just stop there for a moment and maybe just get, out, get us to see. So it says here on the morning, of course, this is uh, uh, where Jesus is uh, in Jerusalem, but now he had spent the night outside of Jerusalem, and now he and his disciples were on their way back into Jerusalem to the temple. So now we know where, where this is taking place. And on the way back into the temple in the morning, they obviously haven't had breakfast or anything to eat. He was hungry. Jesus was hungry. And I'm sure the disciples were hungry. And on the way, now do you understand when it says on the way, it means on the path, on the road. That means there were other people on that road. There were many other people who were most probably passing by that tree long before Jesus got there. But Jesus sees the tree in the, uh, in the distance and sees that it has leaves. It sees it's a live tree. Uh, it pr most probably, I, I'm sure, that it was the time for the, the, the figs to be ripe on the tree that Jesus would, came with an expectation that there would be fruit on the tree. But here's, here's the thing. It doesn't tell us why the tree didn't have any fruit on it. It just told us it didn't have any fruit on it. Who says that a bunch of other people that went before Jesus didn't eat all the fruit? Are you with me here? Amen. It doesn't tell us, you know, it doesn't say while well, the tree was unfruitful. It just said it didn't have any fruit. And so Jesus comes to the fruit and sees that the tree does not have any fruit. Now Jesus, you know, he, he and I believe, I know, I, I think I know why Jesus did this. I think that Jesus, you, Jesus is coming to the end of his ministry, to the end of his life. He's coming to knowing he's going to the cross. And I believe he's, uh, he's making an, a, a statement that for, you know, Jesus many times said, they that have ears to hear, let them hear. They that have eyes to see, they will see. And I believe Jesus went to that tree, and, he, and it says there, he said to them, to the tree. Now, what kind of a tree was it? Oh, right, can, I, can I just, I'm going to throw this out. This is, this is for free. This is not really part of what I want to teach, but I want to maybe just throw this out to you. What was the tree that Adam and Eve ate of? It was a what? It was a fig tree. I, 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 it doesn't say so. It doesn't say so. We don't know. But I'm wondering. I'm wondering. Because the Bible tells us 
that once they ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, what did they cover themselves with? Fig leaves. I wonder, I'm just thinking, I wonder if the tree of the knowledge, and ego, uh, knowledge of good and evil was not maybe the fig tree. I'm just throwing this out to you. Because why would Jesus curse a tree when there's no really reason why the, the fruit could have been picked by somebody else? I believe Jesus is getting ready. He's going to the cross. He's going to die on that cross. And Jesus was saying to, and now listen, listen to what he says. He says, no man will eat fruit from you henceforth forever. I believe Jesus is saying, when I'm done, no one's going to be eating fruit from you anymore. Because man had derived his whole life from the knowledge of good and evil. Amen. Are you good? I know, I'm kind of, this is kind of a side thing, but I, I thought I'd give you that. There's another part to this. Listen to what it says. It says, and presently, you know, it's like, I know that these are not real. Oh, are they? No, they are. <laughs> I had to make sure. But real, you know, here's a, here's a tree. It's, it's beautiful. It's, it's, it's alive. And Jesus says, no man will eat fruit from thee henceforth forever. And it says, presently. That means immediately. The tree started to wither. Can you imagine if this tree all of a sudden, everything just started fading? The disciples saw it. And it says here, presently, presently the tree uh, withered away. And when the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how soon is this tree withered away? Now listen to Jesus. Jesus answered and said unto them, Verily, verily, or truly I say unto you, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do this which was done to the fig tree, but also if you shall say unto this mountain, Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea, it shall be done. <laughs> now where are they? What is... They are... Out, just outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem. So they're in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know. Is, has anybody here been to Jerusalem? Anybody? I haven't either, but I, I've, I've gone and looked at it. There's only one mountain in Jerusalem. And it's the Temple Mount. What is the Temple Mount? It's the bastion of legalism. That's where the temple was. That's, that's where the Ten Commandments were. And Jesus says to the, to the fig tree, I believe saying to the, to the fig tree or, the, the, or the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I, mean, I believe it's symbolic. Jesus is going to the cross. Jesus is now going to bring this whole idea. Because how many of you understand that, that the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was where legalism began? Yeah, that's right. 
If you will do this, then God. Amen. He says, no one's going to eat fruit from you henceforth forever. And then he says, and you're, he says to his disciples, you're impressed with this? He says, if you have faith and doubt not, you shall not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will be able to say to this mountain, what is this mountain? That's where the, that's where the, the bastion of legalism and the Ten Commandments, the whole idea that's, that, that Paul says is, is what blinded Israel. In Rome, if you go to Romans, that's what in Romans he says. He says, and we'll, we'll talk about this tomorrow morning. We'll talk about this whole idea of what blinded Israel from understanding what Jesus did is, is, this, is, is, is the whole Ten Commandments, this whole legalistic. And he says, you'll say to this mountain, this mountain of legalism, this whole idea of legalism, this whole idea of there's something I can do to move God. So be thou cast into the sea, and it will be cast into the sea. Amen? Amen. Okay, but this is what I want you to, to go. He said this, if you have faith and doubt not, you will say unto this, you won't only do what was done to the fig tree. You will say to this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea, and it shall be done. And then what's the next thing he says? Listen to this. I love this. The next thing he says, and all things. Everybody say all things. All, all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. Hmm. And, you know, I just saw something there that most probably I haven't seen before. I can't remember. I'm just looking at it. I'm, I'm, it, it says, and all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer, believing. It doesn't say believing I shall do for you. It says in, in believing you shall receive. Oh, hallelujah. They, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. Amen. You see, when, when Jesus speaks about and says, if you have faith, if you have faith and doubt not, what does he mean by that? Now, I will, will give you an idea of what I always believed it meant. And I think that this is uh, what a lot of people, and especially in, in understanding or trying to understand a life of faith, to live by faith, to live your life in faith. A lot of people have looked, I've heard so many people preach from this particular verse. Uh, I can remember myself preaching from this particular verse. And the way that I interpreted it is I interpreted it through the understanding of what I believed faith was. So let me give you a definition of what I believe is uh, the common definition that most people hold to or adhere to. When we talk about faith, most people believe that faith is something that, um, that you and I need to produce. That if I can produce any of it, I can get God to move on my behalf. 
Now, see, your definition might not be in those particular words, but in most circles where we have learned about faith, most of the time people have come away with the idea that faith is, uh, you know, something that, that I need to produce, something that I need to do or produce, and depending on how much I can produce depends what I can get God to do for me. Amen. Now, is that really what faith is? Well, I don't believe that that's really what faith is. See, but people say, well, you know, you, you, you just, just got to have enough faith. What, the, what does that mean? It just means you don't have enough. That means you've not produced enough. And so what we've done is that we have almost uh, used faith as a currency. In fact, I've heard, I've heard people preach it like this. In fact, I used to preach it like this. That faith, if you can just have enough faith, you know, you can... And here's, here's, here's the oxymoron about all of this. Is that in the finished work of Jesus, everything God has for you is a free gift. But yet we want to, in some way, have enough faith in order to to exchange it. That if I have a if I, if I only have a little bit of faith, it means I can only get God to do little things for me. But if I have a lot of faith, I can get God to do a lot of things for me. And so it becomes this. I have this currency, thou faith, I'm going to build up my faith, I'm going to get more faith, I'm going to produce more faith, because the, if I have a whole bunch of faith, I can get God to do big things for me. You know, have you ever noticed that whenever Jesus taught on faith, that he never taught on how much faith you needed? That his emphasis was never on how much his emphasis was always on how little. He never, I mean, Jesus didn't say, if you have a bucket load of faith. Or, he said, no, 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 no. If you have faith that is so little that it's like a mustard seed. He says, you can move mountains. So his emphasis was never on how much, but it's on how little it takes. Hallelujah. But unfortunately, what's happened with us, now I don't know, I might be the only one that's ever thought that way, and if it is, I'm preaching to myself tonight. Amen. But what he's saying is this. He says, I, you know, uh, if I have enough faith, I'm going to do it. Pastor, come and help me. I'm just going to illustrate it. Because, so when Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not. So over here, pastor is going to be and represent doubt. <laughs> I will represent faith. <laughs> All right? So pastor, come stand here, brother. And, and we're going to hold hands. We're going to, 
forget about this whole distancing thing. We're going to hold hands. I just won't wipe my nose with that hand off. Okay, so, so this is how for years I looked at the life of faith. I looked at Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not, that means that if you can overpower your doubt, so doubt, you're going to have to pull me that way, and I'm going to go, faith, is I'm going that way, all right? So you've got to stop me from going that way, okay? Good. You ready? Amen. Hallelujah. Okay, so doubt, no, he's, he, it's pretty good doubt, this. Amen. All right, so here, so this is how I lived my life. I lived my life all the time with this, this, ah, uh, ah, uh, and then it's like, okay, now, let me, let me get the Bible, get built up, come on, doubt, you're going to pull me. So get my Bible get my Bible, and I'm going to get some more. So let me add to my faith. Get, come, add to my faith. Come hook in here, brother. Hallelujah. Okay, so if I can just get some more faith. Oh, yeah, now I'm walking in faith. Hallelujah. How many of you have lived a, a, a faith life like that? Okay, man. Hallelujah. You live your thanks, brother. Thank you. Hallelujah. And she, that's how I lived my life of faith all the time. I thought it's all I needed to do is I need to overcome the doubts, overcome the, uh, the things that are opposing, thoughts that opposed, you know, belief system that opposed me. But notice Jesus didn't say that. Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not. That means, do you, do you see that there's no doubt here? <laughs> doubt is not here. Right? That's not pulling me this way. Now it doesn't, I don't have to get some more. I can easily, with very little effort, actually go and live a life of faith. That's what Jesus was talking about when he said, if you have faith and doubt not. But let me explain to you, uh, and this was a revelation to me. It changed my whole faith walk is when I found out what it meant when he said, and doubt not. The word doubt that Jesus used in this passage of Scripture, I believe is the key to understanding the doubt that he's talking about. Doubt is the Greek word diakrino. Now, you don't have to try and pronounce it. Diakrino literally means this. It means to oppose. It means to stagger or waver. To oppose or stagger or waver. Now, diakrino comes from two Greek words. Dia, D-I-A, and krino, K-R-I-N-O, which means diacrino. Uh, dia, dia literally means this. To avoid or oppose by reason of. It means to avoid or oppose because of something. Now the because of something is the next word. It means to oppose or to resist, if you want to put it that way. To resist... Because krino is to put on trial, to condemn, or to be under sentence. 
how many of you can see what I'm saying? What he's saying is Jesus is not just saying, I don't believe that Jesus is talking about, you know, doubting the promise. Because let's face it, brothers and sisters, how can you doubt the promise that's right here in the scriptures? Every time you open your Bible, it, it doesn't change. The, the, the promise is by the stripes of Jesus, you were healed. Now, the next time you open your Bible, it doesn't say by the stripes of Jesus, you might be healed. So it's like the Lord said to me, Arthur, I'm not talking about doubting the, the actual promises because how can you doubt the actual promise? It's right here. You can't doubt that the Scripture says so, that God says so, that Jesus did it. But the doubt Jesus is talking about is that, that doubt that stems out of a consciousness of being under judgment, a consciousness of being under sentence, or to be condemned. You see, what, what, what Jesus is saying here is this, is that if we can deal with our opposing beliefs in our hearts, then, we, then getting our beliefs in our hearts to be, to be congruent with the truth of the gospel. Now, let me explain to you what I mean by that. Doubt is not when we doubt the promise, but, but when we believe what we believe about God, what we believe about ourselves, what we believe about the, the gospel... Uh, is rooted in condemnation, in guilt, in shame, in fear. So it's easy to see that uh, the, the, the doubt Jesus is talking about is an opposing belief. Now let me give you an example about it. How many times are, are believers, people, believing? The Bible says, by the stripes of Jesus, I am healed. I want. In fact, it says, you were healed. It's past tense. It's a done deal. It's, and, so, and so many times, what, what do we do? We go and we say, God, I believe, I believe that by the stripes of Jesus, uh, I am healed. I am the healed. I believe that. But in the deep recesses of your belief system, you believe that God is somehow angry with you. You believe in your heart or you feel because, because you're not perfect, because you don't have it all together, because you're uh, struggling with something, you feel that God somehow is kind of a little angry with me. See, that's an opposing belief. You cannot believe for healing and at the same time believe that God is somehow angry with you. That's what Jesus meant. If you have faith and doubt not. You see, that's why for me it's so important to preach the gospel, the gospel of God's grace, love, and mercy, because what it does, that's why last night I came to the place, I want you to understand, God is for you and He's never against you. You cannot believe that God's for you and against you at the same time. 
But it's amazing to me how many believers in the deep recesses of their, their, their belief system, they believe God's promises, but at the same time, they'll talk to me about how they feel God is disappointed in them. Amen. People believe, they want to believe God for, for prosperity, but then um, at the same time, they believe that God's disappointed. They want to believe God for deliverance. May it be from addictions or whatever it is uh, to deliver them. But at the same time, they're not really convinced in their hearts that God unconditionally loves them. People want to believe God for favor. I'm going to believe God for favor in my life or in my work or whatever it is. But at the same time, they feel that God is, is punishing them for something. You can't, you can't have those beliefs. Those belief systems or those beliefs are opposing beliefs. And that's the doubt that Jesus spoke about. He didn't say, yeah, well, if you doubt you know, the promise, because if you doubt the promise, come sit here by me. I'll go show you the promise so that you cannot doubt that it's there. But Jesus said, you can have faith. Listen to me. Jesus said, you can have faith and have this kind of doubt at the same time in your belief system. And Jesus says that if you can get rid of that doubt, you will be able to say to the tree and do to the, say to the mountain, whatever mountain is in your life, whatever mountain is, is, is uh, 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 impossible to to cross in your life, you can say to the mountain. But he makes it very clear that we need to be able to, to, to dissolve those belief systems that, that are uh, opposing beliefs in our lives about God. And the only way to do that is to understand the, the full uh, impact of the gospel of the finished work of Jesus Christ. Amen? Turn with me and, and, and uh, again go back to that, that uh, uh, scripture in 1 Timothy where, where Timothy talks about, now he says, fight the good fight of faith. We, we, we have now seen, we've got brought that to that understanding. The reason why it's so important for you to know is that you're way more important to God than your ability to have everything just right. To live right, to be right, to do right. Now, I, please understand. I believe God wants us to live right. But I don't know about you, but I still mess up. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I still mess up all the time. But you see, the thing is, we've got to realize that even though we are messed up, Amen. God is still there, and He will still work on your behalf. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Okay, so, so 1 Timothy, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, for a long time, when Paul then says, fight the good fight of faith, for me, a long time, I used to look at it from the perspective of, and, and, this, and this is the way that I heard it being taught, 
This is how I would teach it. You know, I'm talking about 20-something years ago. I would teach it from this perspective. See, most people believe that fighting the good fight of faith, Paul is saying that we ought to take our faith and use faith. That means, you know, that's why we come and we have these things that we say to each other. Well, you know, brother, all you need is faith, man. I tell you, take up your faith and, 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 and use your faith. And so what we've done is that we've brought this idea of if I'm going to fight the good fight of faith, that means I need to muster up whatever faith I can muster up so I can, as it were, use it as an offensive, uh, 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 or, yeah, an offensive weapon in order to acquire whatever promise I want from God. Whatever promise that I desire to fight sickness, to fight disease, to fight fear, to come against the sicknesses and diseases, poverty, the stuff of life. Use your faith, man. And of course, when we look at it from that perspective, then when, when, when we read what Paul says, you know, fight the good fight of faith, then we, we go into this mode of, okay, so now I need to, I need to do whatever it's going to take to muster up whatever faith I can in order to, if I can have enough of it, boy, I can have the victory in this situation. I can have the victory in, 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 in my finances, victory in uh, my physical ailments or whatever it is. I can have victory because I can just fight the old devil with this, you know. Okay, let's go and have a look at what Paul says. He says, fight the good fight of faith. Now, here's the common, the common definition of, of what I said earlier on of what people believe faith is. Faith is something I do or to, I produce that causes God to move on my behalf. And if that is what faith is, then it means I, when Paul says fight the good fight of faith, I need, to, I need to produce whatever this faith is, and then I can, I can, I can get God to move on my behalf. Uh, now, Depending on how much I have, depends on how much I can get God to do for me. But here's the key. The word or the, the term to fight or to contend is very, uh, the Greek uh, meaning of this is not an of offensive uh, but defensive term. It's not an offensive term, it's a defensive term. This is, this is what that word means. That word means to contend about a thing as a combatant, to put forth every effort, and this is the Vines, the Vines Exposure Dictionary says, to put forth every effort to protect and defend something you already have. Oh, hallelujah. You see, if our, if our definition of faith is if, if I can get enough or produce enough of this stuff called faith, I can get God to move on my behalf, then our whole approach is I don't have it. Are you with me? I, I, I'm, I need to get God to give it to me. But 
Paul says here, when he says fight or contend for the, uh, fight the good fight of faith, he's not talking about this fight being an offensive term. It's a defensive term. It's to defend what you already have. Hallelujah. So Paul is talking about that protection. Now, what, I believe that, that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10 gives us a great example of what I believe Paul was talking, what, what that kind of a offense or defensive fight is all about. Go with me, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. You know these verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Are you guys doing all right? Am I going too long? Yeah, I could do it. Okay. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 3 says, uh, Paul uh, writes, he says, for, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. That term war is to contend. It means to fight. We don't fight after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They are not fleshly, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now, unfortunately, th uh, those verses have been preached up to that point. And we've come up with what I believe to be an erroneous belief, an erroneous teaching in the church about spiritual warfare and pulling down the, the, the principalities and the powers and the devil and, and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, I, I hope this... <laughs> I'm not offending anybody by saying this, but the truth is, if you believe that somehow Jesus has left you with an undefeated enemy, you're wrong. Amen. And so people have, people have preached these verses, and then they've, they've connected it, you know, with Ephesians, and then they talk about, you know, how that we need to map out the city and find the strong mans in the city. And we need to pull down these de demonic forces and powers. You know, I always used to say that. So now you pull them down, what are you going to do with them? Yeah. <laughs> now that they're here, you know, where you are, what are you going to do now? Amen? Yes, that's, not, that's not what that is talking about. Because he's very clear in verse 5. He says, for the weapons of our warfare, verse 4, is, are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now he's going to tell you what the strongholds are. Casting down imaginations. That word imaginations, human reasonings. You see, I believe that when Paul says, fight the good fight of faith, you know, how do we counteract these, the doubts? The doubts that are rooted in in condemnation, guilt, uh, being under, under judgment, that, that, that whole idea that you somehow, God is angry with you. How do you deal with that? Well, that's, that's an imagination. That's a human reasoning. That's a human reasoning in which you reason to yourself. You know, uh, uh, of course, Paul talks about it in Colossians when he talks about the fact, he says that um, uh, in Colossians uh, chapter 1, I believe it's verse 19, where he talks about the fact that, uh, uh, you know, you are alienated and you are enemies in your mind. Where? In your mind. 
You know, the moment you, th you think that you're an enemy of God, the moment you think that God is angry with you, that God is, is somehow uh, upset with you, disappointed with you, then that's a human reasoning in your mind. Not in His mind. It says you were an enemy and you were alienated. That word alienate means to be separated you were separated from what? From the promises of God. You were separated from walking in a relationship with God that is loving and kind. Because in your mind, not in His mind, in your mind, then it tells you why. Because of your wicked works. That word wicked means your, your, your weak works, your inabilities. See, this is what we do all the time, brother and sister. What we do is that we go and we live our Christian lives, but we're weak. We make mistakes. We, we, we do, quote-unquote, evil things. Then in our mind, we believe God's angry. We believe God is against us. We believe that surely God can't bless me now. Right? Amen. Okay, I'm going to go this side. These guys, they, they, they hallelujah. I'm going to, this side, it's friendlier on this side. No, <laughs> I'm just joking. But do you understand what I'm saying? So he's making, he says, casting down imaginations, human reasonings, and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Now, you know, when, he, when, when Paul uses the term, I don't have time here tonight to explain it and go show you in the Word, but whenever you find Paul write about the knowledge of God, he's always talking about the truth of the gospel. The truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Everything that exalts itself above the knowledge of God, the gospel, the truth of the gospel, and bringing into captivity every thought... See, the, these are the strongholds. It's not some principality and power out there in the sky. It is in your own mind. Brother and sister, the biggest, biggest where, uh, 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 warfare that's going to go on in your life is in your mind. Hallelujah. Man, I'm preaching so good I'm going to buy the CD. Hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> Casting down imaginations, human reasonings. And every high thing that exalts itself about the knowledge or the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ and bringing into captivity every thought, now listen to this, to the obedience of Christ. Now, let me, let me explain to you how I used to, I used to read that, bring it to the obedience of Christ, but what I perceived was bring it to... To be obedient to Christ. Are you with me? Yeah. So, so it's, it's kind of like that if I, and I always thought about these thoughts, you know, these, these thoughts, these imaginations that I, I always thought about those ugly, those perverted, those uh, nasty thoughts that we have from time to time. Those thoughts, you know, Cast them down. Ha! That, oh, that's terrible. And bring them to Jesus and let Jesus put his foot on it. You know? Be obedient to Jesus. And Jesus, put your foot on those ugly, filthy thoughts and don't let them slip out again. No, that's not what that means. It says bring those thoughts 
captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, of Christ. What was, yes, what was Jesus obedient unto? Jesus was obedient. The scripture says he was obedient unto death. Hallelujah. And he died on that cross. And what this means is every thought you have, it's not just talking about those, those filthy thoughts. Every thought you have, you should use the finished work of Jesus Christ, the cross, and who he is and what he accomplished on that cross for you. You need to bring every thought and bring it to the obedience of Jesus and, and, and use that as a litmus test. Do, these thoughts I'm thinking, do they agree with what Jesus did for me on the cross? If they don't agree, cast them down. Don't entertain them. They are a lie. The thoughts that you do have that line up with what Jesus already did for you, keep on thinking them, meditate upon them, speak them out, uh, you know, confess those thoughts. Those are the ones that you, that's, that's really what he's talking about here. Amen? So fighting the good fight of faith is a battle that is waged in our minds and in our belief system, in our hearts. This is the, this is the fight. You, you, you said to me, Arthur, surely is that the fight? Let me, let me just dare you, double dog dare you, <laughs> to start believing that what Jesus did for you is a finished work on your behalf forever and see how you will have a fight on your hands. Are you with me here? Amen? So I, I like, I like the, the, the term. Now, there's more to this passage of Scripture. He says, makes it very clear. He says this. He says, fight the good fight of faith. That's the old King James. The newer translations are more in line with the actual Greek language. Because in the Greek, old, the texts of the, of the, where we get our translations from, there's a definite article in front of that word faith. Fight the good fight of, definite article means the faith. Are you with me here? Fight, it's not just fight the good fight of faith. It's fight the good fight of the faith. Now, the term, the faith, is a very specific term. It's not just use your faith and fight the devil. <laughs> no, it is fight the good fight of the faith. The New Living Translation says it like this. Fight a good fight for the true faith. Uh, the Amplified says fight the good fight of the faith. Uh, uh, the J.B. Phillips Translation says fight the worthwhile battle of of the faith. Now, in order to, dis, to uh, illustrate to you what that term, the faith, means, and, 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 and I, I'm asking the Holy Spirit here to switch on the light so you can see it. Are you with me here? Amen. Turn with me to another passage of Scripture, which is very, very similar to this passage in 1 uh, Timothy. 
and that is in Jude. Jude has just got the one chapter, chapter 1, verse 3. Now listen to what Jude says. Jude writes and he says, Beloved, my whole concern was to write to you in regards to our common salvation. But I found it necessary and was impelled to write you and urgently appeal to and exhort you to contend, that word contend is the same word, fight, to contend for the faith which was once for all handed down by or down, down to the saints. I know, it's, I know it's getting late. I know it's getting late, but I want, you, I want you to be able to stick with me here. See, when Paul says fight the good fight of the faith, it's not an offensive thing that I need to do in order to acquire something I don't have. It is a defensive strategy to protect what I already have. And the faith that I already have is, as it says here, now the Amplified defines this term. Beautiful in the Amplified. In brackets it says, the faith, which is the sum of Christian belief, which was delivered verbally to the holy people of God. Are you listening to what I'm saying there? Man, I tell you, if you can get this, I tell you, this changed my walk of faith and made it so much easier. Because what he's saying is this. He says, contend, fight for the faith. What is this, the faith? The sum of Christian belief. When he says Christian belief, he's talking about the, the, the Christian belief in the finished work of Jesus. That means to believe in Jesus and everything he accomplished, everything he did, a finished work on the cross, and what it means to you. He says, you need to fight to keep on believing that. You're going to have to keep on contending day in, day out to keep on believing and have your focus on the cross and the finished work of the cross and the, and the done deal that God has already done for you. You are not going to be healed. You are the healed. You are not going to prosper. You are the prosperous. Are you with me here? Yeah. And what he's saying is, see, when Paul calls uh, and charges Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, and Jude says that we are to contend for the faith, they are not uh, talking about anything you and I need to do or to produce or to acquire. They didn't, I don't believe that they're asking you to have stronger faith or more faith or bolder faith. All they are asking us to do is this, is will you day in and day out? Now, brother and sister, we, we started last night. I said, who would have believed that when this year started, that we, we would be in the place where we are politically, world, the world view, what's going on in the world? And, and that's why I believe God wants us to live a life of faith. 
But I'm telling you, the only way that you and I are going to be able to li live a life of faith, the faith that we are to live, it has nothing to do with how much faith you have. Because God has already dealt to every man the measure of faith needed. And the, the, the measure of faith God has given you and me to have is for me and you to believe that Jesus was able to accomplish what He accomplished. <laughs> Boy, I tell you, when we understand that, that you understand, you see, here's the thing. I usually use an illustration. Uh, again, Pastor, if you would come and sit there. I wasn't going to go here, but I'm going to go there. I'm just going to follow what the Holy Spirit said, right? Is that okay with you? See, this is our biggest challenge. As believers, to live a life of faith, this is our biggest challenge. Our challenge is not to somehow produce more faith and have stronger faith or bolder faith. Man, you have every bit of faith you need. You have. The problem is, it's not to have faith in your faith. And unfortunately, that's what a lot of people in, 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 in trying to live a life of faith, they want to put faith in their faith. Let's say, God forbid this be true. God forbid. I, I'm not speaking. But let's, for illustration's sake, say that Pastor Scott has had a terrible accident. And he's lost both his legs and both his arms. Would you say he has a problem? Yeah. Pastor <laughs> yes. How many of you believe he's got a, I mean, he's got, a, he's got an issue. Now, how many of you believe that God is able, capable of making new limbs grow? I mean, the Bible actually tells us. I mean, the, the, the story of, of the ten lepers is a beautiful story of God, of Jesus healing lepers. But the leper that came back to thank him, it says he went away whole. He wasn't just healed, but he was made whole. So if, if, if the leprosy caused his nose to fall off, he, he went home with a new nose. Are you with me here? So we know that the Bible says, and that God is capable of, of growing new limbs. Now, I'm going to ask Pastor, I haven't, we've not discussed this before. Now, I want, Pastor, I want you to be honest and not spiritual. All right. Now, what I mean by it is that, is that sometimes we know what I answer should be. But I want you to answer right now where you are. If you were here right now, and the truth is your, your four limbs are gone. Do you believe God can heal you? Do you believe he can cause the limbs to grow out again? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus died for that reason? Yeah. All right. Okay, so now, now listen to my question. Uh, according to your faith, <laughs> do you believe you're healed? Do you believe your limbs can grow now? According to your faith. Be honest. It'd be hard. It'd be hard. I, I, yes. Okay, so what you're actually saying is, uh, no, I don't think I have that. Right? 
Now, I know that, that we've been trained to believe you should, right? Okay, so, okay, if, so Jesus comes to stand in front of you. I'm Jesus. And Jesus now says to you, Scott, according to your faith, be it unto you, do you believe now you're going to be healed? Possibly. No, well, I mean, what's strange? It's still up to your faith, right? right? So even if Jesus stood there and says, according to your faith, Okay, let me, let me ask you this question. How, how many of you see where I'm going with this? Can you see this? All right, okay, here. See, you might have a situation right now in your life. Right now, in your life, you have a situation that you're trusting God for. You have, you have the promise. You believe God is able, capable to doing it. In fact, you believe that Jesus has already done it. It's a done deal. But you say, well, I, I just don't have the faith for that. All right, okay, so here's what I want you to see. If Jesus stands in front of you, and I'm Jesus, I'm standing in front of you, and I say to you, Jesus says to you, now, Scott, according to my faith, be thou healed. Yes. Amen. Can you believe that now you'll be healed? Did you, know, did you notice how quickly his head went? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, you know what I just illustrated to you here? Is the faith he's been given. See, the other faith I was talking about was not, has not been given him. The faith that God has dealt to every man, the measure of faith, is the measure to believe that Jesus did it. According to his faith. And let's face it, how many of you, the moment I said that, said, yeah, I can believe that. Right? Yeah, because, you see, that's the faith you've been given. And you've not been given anything other than that faith. To have faith in Jesus' faith, not in your faith. Oh, hallelujah. Now I can look at any circumstance, any situation, no matter how big the mountain is, and I look and I say, well, according to my faith, I don't have an answer for this. But according to Jesus' faith, according to what he has accomplished. I believe I have victory over this. And hallelujah. Now you have. Come on now. Hallelujah. Thanks, Pastor. See, when it comes to a life of faith, the biggest challenge you and I have as believers is the challenge to trust, rely upon Jesus and his finished work and, and, to, and to use that, those truths to tear down every high imagination, every thought, every human reasoning that comes against the knowledge of God. Yeah. Hallelujah. And when we do, then Jesus says, if you have faith and you have it, you will say to this man, and, and doubt not, See, the only thing that can, can neutralize the faith God has already given you is to, is to have a wrong concept of who God, His true nature. To have a wrong concept of what God has already done for you in Christ. Hallelujah. That neutralizes. That brings an opposition. But if you can take the truth of the gospel. Listen. 
The devil will do everything he possibly can to convince you the moment you wake up tomorrow morning that what Jesus did for you is not really yours. Hallelujah. Every, everything, every institution in this world, every system of this world is going to do everything it can to convince you that it is not true what Jesus did. That's why they try to, try to always have some kind of uh, uh, you know, theory about how that, that Jesus wasn't real, that he wasn't a real, he wasn't really God. That, that's what the, the, the world system will do. Religion, let me tell you this. Religion, what is religion? I hate religion. Religion, <laughs> religion is anything you think you ought to do for God in order to get God to move on your behalf. That's really, I hate it. Religion is anything, anything. Not, I mean, it, it, you might not even get it in the Bible. You might just come up with the idea that this is what I have to do in order, in order to get God on my side. You in religion. That will always disqualify you. Hallelujah. Religion is always what I can do for God. You know what Christianity is? Everything God has done for me. That's what Christianity is. Christianity has never been a religion. Religion is always, this is what I've got to do. This is what I, if you will do this, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you will eat of this tree, then you will be like God. No, they were already like God. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. That's why. Now, I want to leave you with this. Yet many years ago, this is one of the great stories and, and illustrations I have. Many years ago, uh, I was preaching in South Africa, and we were doing a conference, a whole week's conference. And there was a lady that came the first night of the conference. She came up for prayer. And she was one of those ladies that, you know, that you just feel sorry for because once she came forward for prayer and I asked her, I asked and said, you know, what can I pray for you? I mean, she had money problems. She had husband problems. She had children problems. She had uh, woman problems. She, I mean, almost any kind of problem that a woman can have, she had. And I mean, it was, it was, it was sad. I mean, she was haggard. She was gaunt, uh, you know, worry had, had eaten away her soul. And she came forward for prayer. And so I said, look, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to, I'm going to believe. You know, sometimes, here, here's the problem I think that we sometimes have, is that we treat Christianity like magic. Well, just go to the right conference and let the, you know, the super duper at that conference wave his Bible over my head and maybe knock me with his Bible and kaboom, my problems are solved. You know, and, and, and you know, God can, God can do miracles like that. But for the most part, God wants us to live and live our lives into those realities. So this lady came and I prayed for her. Obviously, I, play, I prayed for all of the issues that she had and I prayed that, that God would dissolve all of these issues in her life. 
And she went, but as she turned around, I, I, the Holy Spirit said to me, tell her to be at every service for this conference. So I stopped her and I said, please, I, I, I would like to ask you, I said, if, you, if this is all that you're going through, I'm, I'm going to ask you, be in every one of these services. And this you start, well, I can't. And I can't go there. And I can't come tomorrow. And I can't come the next day. And I have this problem. And I've got... So I said to her, I stopped there. I said, stop. I said, you're the one with all these issues. And all I'm asking you is come to every one of these services and listen to what we are preaching and teaching here. She said, yeah, but, but I said, I'm just, I'm just telling you, make a plan. Well, th this was the Monday night. The Thursday night, I had just finished preaching, just finished praying for people, and this lady comes walking up to me. I thought I recognized her, but she looked sprightly, and she, I mean, so she's, she starts talking to me as if she knows me. So I stopped and I said, have I met you before? She says, yes, I was the lady that was here on Monday. I mean, I literally went, I gasped. I, I, I said, you look 10 years younger. What happened? She says, I came to every one of these services. And, and I said, you look 10 years younger. She says, that's what my husband says. And I'm telling you, he has this woman... And she, and I mean, her eyes were sparkling. She had color in her face. I mean, she was, her hair was beautiful. She looked lovely. She was dressed. She was carrying herself. I mean, I was looking at her thinking, my God. The, the, you know, that's when the Lord said to me, what had happened was she started hearing the truth and she was fighting the good fight of faith. And, and, and bringing the truth as a litmus test to every situation in her life and starting to change her mind. You know, Kathy and I went back to that city a year later, and that lady came. Now, you must remember, she had all the problems. Her children were on drugs. Her husband was an alcoholic. He was, he was you know, running around with other women. So... Get in the service, he has this lady sitting, her husband next to her, and her three kids next to her, all of them saved, born again, filled with the Holy Spirit, delivered from all these things. <laughs> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, it, I wish I could have said, well, you know, all I did is wave my Bible and pull my over. Well, what happened was she exposed her heart, her mind, and focused on the finished work of Jesus and started to believe that and to believe that Jesus had faith for my healing. Jesus had faith for the deliverance of my children. Jesus had faith for the restoration of my marriage. And boy, I tell you, God did a miracle. And you know, I've seen, Kathy and I have seen this over and over and over and over again in people's lives. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Fighting the good fight of faith. You know, we're in this time right now. We don't know the outcome of everything that's going to happen. There's a lot of stuff going on right now. I believe that 
that we are only, by the end of this year, going to see the full effect of what, what this lockdown has done to people's lives. But I want to tell you that in the midst of this, God is calling you, calling me, to live in faith, by faith, trusting Him. Hallelujah. Why? Because He is trustworthy. He has proven it to us on the cross of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Did you receive something here tonight? Amen. Hallelujah. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. Let's all, let's all stand. Let's all stand. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. You know, just where you are tonight, one of the things I've learned in recent years is, is, is all that we really need is, is to uh, surrender, to surrender to Jesus, sur surrender to the truth of Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And you know, I love Brother Andrew. He, he uses this. I, I've stolen this from him. He says, how do, you, how do you surrender? I mean, if somebody comes and puts a gun in your back right now, what is the universal sign of surrender? Put up your hands, right? Some people say, oh, well, I'm, I, I don't put my hands up in church. Well, nobody here is going to care. Amen? <laughs> so let's all lift our hands just to the Lord. Father, we just come this, this evening and, and we just lift our hands in surrender. We surrender, Jesus, to you and to the finished work of the cross and everything that you have already accomplished, done, and, and you've said yes and amen yes, to every promise. We surrender our lives. We surrender our finances. We surrender our marriages, our relationships, our children, our families. We surrender our businesses. We surrender our ideas to you tonight. Now, just where you are right now, whatever you feel that, 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 that is coming against you right now, in that area of your life, just surrender that to the Lord. Father, we just surrender right now all of these things. And just, just tell Jesus tonight, just tell Him, Lord, I surrender, I give up, I, I surrender to Your ability, to Your finished work, to Your, your promises in Jesus' name. Thank You, Lord, for deliverance tonight. Hallelujah. Freedom. In the name of Jesus. You know, I, I sense, I sense a lot of anxiety. And so, Father, we come against anxiety tonight. The worries of what if, what if, in Jesus' name, I say what Jesus said, peace be still in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. 
You know what, if you, if you here or you're watching via live stream and you've never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, then right now is the time to just put up your hands and surrender. Just surrender to Him. Hallelujah. If you're watching my live stream and you say, well, I, I've never done that, then, then we are all going to pray together here tonight. Amen? We're all going to pray this prayer together. And if you're here, if you're in this building and you've, you've never received Christ, maybe you have, but, but maybe you've just you've turned your back, you've, you've drifted away, you felt like you just don't make the grade or whatever it is, then tonight just come back and say, I surrender, Jesus. So we're going to all pray this together. Would, would that be okay with you? Come, come before the Lord. Say, Heavenly Father. I thank you for Jesus. I thank you for the finished work of the cross. Tonight, Jesus, I receive you as my Lord, my Savior, my Deliverer, my Healer. In Jesus' name, I receive everything you have for me. Thank you, Father, for the blood that washes me cleanses me eternally of all sin. In the name of Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. This message is brought to you by Hope Church. If you would like more information about Hope Church or to listen to more, please go to www.hopechurchnc.org. That's www.hopechurchnc.org.